We're in Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together, friends. Abba, we read passages like this, and it seems on so many levels like it has nothing to do with us. Quite, quite honestly, it's a head-scratcher. 
How do we make sense of these things? What could this possibly have to say to us? And yet you're the one who says all scripture is God-breathed. All of it is useful. All of it is for us. And so even before we see with our eyes or understand with our minds, we choose to trust with our hearts that you have a word for us this morning. And we welcome you to speak. Holy Spirit, would you be the one who speaks to us? Lord Jesus, would it be your face that we see? Abba, Father, would it be your love that fills us and remakes us from the inside out? We need you. And we praise you that in Jesus, your answer is always yes. And so here we are. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. The Great Wall of China. How many of you have ever been to the Great Wall, walked on it before? Anyone? Okay, we got a couple hands, got a couple hands. 25 feet high, 16 feet wide, over 13,000 miles long. To put that in comparison, if you were to go from uh, tip to tip, from Florida to Washington, to the United States, you're looking at 2,800 miles. That's a lot of wall. There's astronauts who claim that in low orbit they could see the wall of China with the naked eye. It's a wonder of the world. But how many of you, because all of us have heard of the Great Wall, I'm sure, right? How many of you knew that the Great Wall was built because of loss? Because of sorrow? Because of pain? How many of you knew that the Great Wall was, was built because there were invading armies that were actually defeating the dynasties that were ruling in China? And so they decided they needed to protect their northern border. And they would build these walls, and then when they would fail, they'd build a wall behind it and behind it. And all of a sudden, you have this huge conglomeration of walls, miles and miles of wall, all aimed at actually protecting themselves from those that they thought were going to attack them. It was built over 24 centuries. Crazy history for the Great Wall. The problem, however, is that it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't ultimately protect them because while it was built over 24 centuries, there were also at least 24 dynasties. Notice the air quotes. Because a dynasty is supposed to last forever. And they had one for every century, at least. And the issue is that it wasn't just not able to keep the enemies from attacking from the outside, but many enemies actually grew up from within. And so what was designed to be something to keep them out ended up being a trap that kept them in. Now, if you're following me at all, you know the reason why we're talking about the Great Wall is because all of us have those very walls that we have built that are much stronger than stone. They're walls of self-protection that we build thinking that we need to protect ourselves from everyone because we've experienced trauma, pain, loss. But just like the Great Wall of China, those walls don't work. They don't work. They don't actually keep the enemy out. And so often, they keep me trapped within. 
If you can relate at all to that this morning, I want to encourage you to realize God sees you. He sees you. And he has a word for you this morning. Because that is exactly where we're going as we continue in our study through the book of Joshua. Where as we've been unpacking this for the last several weeks, we have heard this same message over and over and over again. Do not fear. I am with you. Be strong and courageous and do not fear. For Yahweh your God is with you wherever you go. Again and again and again. If there's one message that he wants us to get from the book of Joshua, that is it. He repeats it throughout three or four times in the opening verses of the book of Joshua. He'll repeat it at the end of the book of Joshua. He wants us to see this is the message. Be strong and courageous. Do not give in to fear. For Yahweh your God is with you wherever you go. And then we see the outworking of that because that is not an empty promise that comes without power. It is a promise that is made with authority. And then that authority is played out as his people walk by faith. And so we see this outworking of that promise on this level. He's saying to his people, I want you to learn to fight for one another. Don't give up on each other. You need each other. And that's true. We see that in our lives, don't we? But he also says, oh, I want you to open your eyes to real life, that what God is doing behind the scenes in the spiritual realm impacts our earthly existence. It's always been that way. In the beginning, there was nothing except for God. Let me rephrase that. In the beginning, there was only God in the spiritual realm. There was no material world until God said, let there be, and there was. And God says, everything that's taking place on earth is an image of what's in heaven. Now go and live as those who are bringing heaven to earth. We have to understand what's going on in the spiritual realm to understand the physical. He says, every time you see me break in, the spiritual realm, God, God Almighty, break into earth, I want you to build these little Ebenezers. You can see ours over near the cross. Remember we, we, when Tommy was preaching, we got those little stones. We made a little stone monument. That's not an idol. It's a remembrance, right? It's our way of saying we saw God break in on that day, and we want to remember what God did. Every time God broke in, he said, I want you to build these remembrance altars to me so that you can tell your kids about it. For, for generations, they can know what has happened and so that you don't forget yourself. Remember what I've done. And the only, one of the reasons why you need to remember is because we're so prone to just go around in circles. Remember Gilgal means circle? You just go around in circle after circle after circle. It's what the Israelites did in the wilderness because they were afraid. Because they didn't know how this was going to work out. Because they couldn't figure out how on earth they were going to be able to beat the giants. And so they're like, nope, this doesn't make sense to us. We're just going to wander in circles in the wilderness. And that's when God, when he finally brings them back to the edge of the promised land, which is where the book of Joshua begins... He says, I'm going to change Gilgal, circle, to Gilgal. In Hebrew, sounds like roll back. I'm going to roll back your reproach. I'm going to take away your guilt and your shame. And I'm going to show you why I've brought you here. You're going to move from Gilgal to Gilgal. But the very first lesson that they have to learn as they're taking a step of faith is to recognize that the one with whom we most wrestle, resist, rebel, is God himself. 
It's God. Which is what we see in that interaction between Joshua and the commander of the Lord's army. When he has his sword drawn and he's facing Joshua. Remember the message that he says. Joshua, I will not allow you to turn what is supposed to be a picture of heaven into a picture of hell. Because you want it to look your way. I will stand in your way. And I will welcome you into my presence. And my love will change you. And I love how that passage ends, because it doesn't ever say, and then Joshua got up and walked away. It just has him there on his face before Yahweh God. And it's beautiful, a beautiful invitation for all of us to come and to do exactly what we did last week when the Ignite team was here. And we experienced Abba Father's love just pour over us in waves in waves, experiencing his delight, experiencing his joy, experiencing his wonder, and then watching as he heals our hearts. Friends, this has been and continues to be the message of the king for us. He doesn't want us to be afraid. Be strong and courageous and do not fear. Why? Because he's with us and he's for us. And he's good. This morning, here's where we're going. This is our theme. Worship is how the walls come down. Did I hear a hallelujah? Worship is how the walls come down. Three points. God's heart for his people. God's heart for the trapped. And a better battle plan. So first, God's heart for his people. This will be the longest point. So if we're like halfway through and you're like, oh my gosh, there's two more points. There are, but they're short, okay? So just bear with me here, right? So verse 2, it says, Yahweh says, I have given Jericho into your hands. He's talking to Joshua and to the people of Israel. He's guaranteeing their victory. I'm going to see a victory. Where does that song come from? He's guaranteeing their victory. And all they need to do is live into it, is walk like what God has promised is true because he's promised it even before they have received it. I want you to notice this because we're going to keep coming back to this reality. It's what theologians call the already and the not yet. It is already ours because God has done it and promised us, but it's not yet ours because we haven't lived into it. It doesn't seem to make sense until you actually begin to live it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. God loved the world. God loves the world. But do you experience that love if you don't step towards him in faith? Do you know that love? Do you live in that truth until you step in faith? No. You stay stuck over here. The already and the not yet. We see in our passage this echo from Numbers chapter 13 where he's saying, listen, uh, Numbers 13 is the first time they came to the edge of the promised land, right? And they saw the giants and the, the spies brought back the bad report. We can't do this. They're too big and strong. We should run. And the people of Israel said, we agree with those 10. So we're gonna run and Gilgal in the wilderness for 40 years. But what God has done is brought them back to that very same place with those very same giants and those very same walls with another opportunity to step by faith 
as God directs. And what we see here is a very different reality play out. Now, what they saw, again, is the enemies are too big, the walls are too thick, we can't do it, right? How many of you have ever been in an experience where it feels like, God, you're calling me to do something that I don't understand, I don't see how it's going to work out, and I'm not quite sure I want to do it? Let me see. Show of hands. Honesty. Honesty. I see a few people lying because your hands are still down, all right? Like, to, to follow God is to be called simply by the definition of following God. Right? To be called to do things that are bigger than us, that are too hard for us, that are going to stretch us beyond what we think we are able to do. One of the most misquoted passages of Scripture says, the Lord will never call us to do what we're not able to do. Right? He won't give us more than we can bear. Who gets to decide how much you can bear? God. Not you. <laughs> not me. I'm not the one that gets to say, God, that was enough. He's the one who says, you know what's enough? When you're completely broken. Because to the degree that you're still holding on to the things you thought were going to save you, you're not holding on to him. Love doesn't always feel warm and mushy. Sometimes it feels like the hand of the Lord is pressing down hard upon me so that I'll learn to hold back so that he can lift me up. Our God is faithful, kind, and good. He loves us too much to have us miss what he's doing in us and for us and through us. So this is what they saw. Then they see this silly plan, right? The enemy's too big. The, the, the plan is too crazy. This is ridiculous. How many of us would think this is a great battle plan? March around the city for six days, and on the seventh day, march around it seven times, and then shout and blow a bunch of trumpets, and the walls will come down. Honestly. It's ridiculous. Let's be honest. It's ridiculous. Almost as ridiculous as this notion that says, hey, when someone curses you, bless them and love them in Jesus' name. That's ridiculous. If someone curses me, you know what I want to do to them? I want to curse them back. In fact, that has been my, the majority of my life, cursing back. Why? Because you get what you deserve because we believe in a God of karma. No, we don't. We believe in a God of grace who, when he was hung on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. Don't give them what they deserve. Give them better than what they could ever earn because of what I'm doing for them. God's way oftentimes feels silly to us, but he's not asking us, please hear this, he's not asking us to understand before we obey. He's asking us to obey so that we can understand. He's not asking us to understand before we obey. He's asking us to obey so that we understand. Because what God was actually doing in them and what he's also doing in us as his people all the time is tearing down the walls of self-protection and teaching them how to fight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So here's what he says to them. Let's break it down bit by bit. We started off with this. We're coming back to it. He says, keep your eyes on me. Be strong and courageous and do not fear because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Again, in our passage, what does he say? The one who's going before you is me. I'm the one in the center of that leading procession. You have a front guard and a rear guard, but then you have the priest in the middle. 
of those who are in the front and in the middle of the priests is the Ark of the Covenant. God is saying, I'm the one who's going before you. I will fight your battles for you. All you need to do is follow me. Keep your eyes on me. It has been the key. It will remain the key. It is always the key. The presence of God is the difference maker. Which, by the way, like, spoiler alert. The whole reason why Jesus came was so that the presence of God, which once lived everywhere in uninterrupted communion in the garden, and then had to flee so that we wouldn't die, then was in a box, then in a building called the temple, and now lives where? In us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Friends, this is where the story goes and why it matters that we know and enter into the story of how it got there. Because it doesn't always feel like that. It doesn't always feel good. But it matters that we see that that's always been the case. And so what's the most important step in all of this, friends? Keep your eyes on him. On him. Okay? Then he says, march around the city, which is going to feel like Gilgal, right? Here we are again, going around and around, nothing's happening, unless, of course, God does something. Unless, of course, God does something, which, by the way, is exactly what he has just shown them. When he took them out of, the, uh, out of slavery in Egypt and they crossed through the Red Sea 40 years ago, they have that as one of their Ebenezers. The Red Sea is an Ebenezer for them. God parted the sea so they could walk through. How did he do that? Did they understand the physics? Did they understand that that was going to happen in that way? Absolutely not. He simply said, Moses, hold out your staff. And Moses holds out his staff, and the waters part, and they walk through on dry land. They've experienced a miracle, and he's saying, I want you to remember that. But that same miracle, in case they forgot it, they just lived through when they crossed over the Jordan, which was swollen with the waters of chaos all the way back to the city of Adam and all the way down to the sea of death itself. And God said, I'm going to stop those waters so you can walk through on dry land. He was doing something very concrete in front of them so they can tell a much bigger picture. Remember what God has done. March around the city even when you feel like it's foolish even when you don't understand it. Because unless you become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are Jesus' words. Make the noise of war. That's what he says next, and he says it in two different ways. Blow the shofar. Who, who, who knows what a shofar is? Who's, let me see your hands. Who's ever blown a shofar? I want to see it. Yes, there it is. We need a shofar here. Am I right? Come on. Yes right? Blow the shofar, this trumpet, right? But then also be ready to shout. Why? Because they're both declaring the same thing. The shofar was a horn that declared war, but it was also a horn that was used in worship. In worship. Blow the shofar. Why? Because our war cry is our worship. Our worship is our war cry. We are declaring who he is and how the victory is already ours, even as we step out in faith and go and Fight for what he says is already mine. Our worship 
is our warfare. In the same way with the shouting, the Hebrew word here that is translated shouts can actually be translated shout for, for war, this cry, but also shout for joy. Shout for joy. Rejoice. Why? Because God has done it. Do you see the way faith works? Faith is not, oh, I really hope this is going to happen. If God has said it, it is finished. It is yours. It is ours. When he says, I'm going to finish the work, bring it to completion, that I have begun in you, do you need to doubt whether or not God is going to bring it to completion? Do you need to doubt that he is going to be faithful to you? When Jesus says, I will never leave you, I will never leave you. I will never leave you or forsake you, even to the end of the age. When we feel completely alone and overwhelmed, do we need to listen to the voice of fear when it says you're all alone? Or do we stand on the truth and declare with our worship, I know you're with me, and I know I've already won this battle. So I will walk by faith even now. Make the noise of war. And what's the result as they do, friends? The walls of Jericho literally come crashing down. It is a miracle. There's lots of research out there, people trying to make natural what is supernatural. Oh, well, if, if they reach this decibel of shouting and this decibel of the trumpets, then the rocks, because of their particles, they would probably maybe shake a little bit and then the shaking would make it fall down and blah, 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 blah. Can God use natural means? Of course he can. But our God is a supernatural God. Where did everything come from? No, it came from a big bang that where there were particles that came from nothing. And then they just went bang. And that's how we all got here, right? Something came from nothing because that makes sense. Or how about this? The God who always was and is and always will be spoke. And like a huge eruption, boom, the, the universe came into existence. Does that sound a little bit more like the Big Bang from the beginning? Where does this stuff come from? Him. Him. He wants us, friends, to learn to actually believe before we understand. Before we, because our, listen, our temptation to need to understand first is called control. I need control. I need to stay in control because I need, look what happens when I control. What am I forming around me? A wall. You see the wall? It's a wall that's going to protect me because I don't want to get hurt. But it's a wall that's keeping me in and protecting me every time I look up and try to receive what the Lord has for me. It's a wall, friends. God is not interested in us jumping through hoops. Please don't hear this. Please don't hear that in our story. He didn't say, what can I randomly make them do so that they have to obey and then I get all the glory? God's doing things that are bigger than we understand. And he's not asking us to understand. He's asking us to obey. Please don't miss this point. When we get to heaven, will we know everything? No. We will spend all of eternity growing more 
and more and more in our understanding and knowledge and delight in who he is. But will there ever be an end to that? Will we ever get to the point where we know everything that God does? No, because he's God and we're not and we never will be. And that'll be the most secure place in the entire universe because we don't actually want to be God. We want a God who's bigger than we are, who's more powerful than we are, who can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And friends, in case you're missing it, that's the only God there is. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So I want to unpack for you some of the story behind the story. What do I mean? Well, there's an even bigger victory that happened that the Israelites maybe saw or maybe didn't see. You see, they saw the walls come down. They knew that Jericho was the enemy. But as we've talked about before, with this spiritual realm, what's going on behind the scenes? Our Jesus is interested in driving out the darkness. He's not just interested in a little plot of land in the 1040 window. Yahweh God reserved that spot of land called Israel because from Israel, he was going to bring into the world who again? Jesus so that he could save not just this little plot of land, but the very thing he promised Abraham. Abraham, through you I will bless the nations. The whole world will be blessed through your lineage. That's our Jesus, friends. And so the Lord has, has, has reserved this spot of land for himself so that he could get to a place where he brings Jesus into the world, where he can have ultimate victory over the darkness, but even here it's foreshadowed. How so? Because do you know what they called the king of Jericho? A son of the gods. Huh. And do you know what the Jericho literally means, transliterated? City of the moon. Or to put it differently, the city of darkness. And so God has his people as they're coming into the land that belongs to him, that has been usurped by one of the sons of God, little s, air quotes, one of these divine beings who's at work behind what we see. God is saying, I am doing something bigger than what you can see. Something much bigger. He's also declaring a bigger victory because in the blowing of the shofar, realize that the, the Jews, they would blow the shofar every time there was a new moon. What city did they just invade and conquer again? Jericho, the city of the moon. And now every time they blow the shofar, it's at the new moon. So what is God saying? There's a new season here. There's a new sheriff in town. Something is changing. And I'm doing a mighty work. Even before you can see it, I want you to believe it. But then it becomes this rhythm that happens every year at Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year. Every year at Rosh Hashanah, the, the shofar is blown a hundred times. And 30 of them are to declare the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Or to put it differently, that the Son of God is going to actually come to win the victory we need him to win. Are you following? Keep going. There's two other times that the shofar is blown regularly in the Jewish calendar. And they're both on holidays. One at Passover and one at Yom Kippur. At Passover, during the temple period, they would go up to the pinnacle of the temple. You know that place when Jesus was brought to the pinnacle of the temple when he was tempted by Satan? And Satan said, throw yourself down and the angels will have to come guard you. And he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Remember that? The pinnacle of the temple was the place the priest would go out and blow the shofar at the what hour? 
Ninth hour, 3 p.m., which was when the, the lamb was slaughtered at Passover for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. And then at Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, when all of the various sacrifices were made. At the end of that day, the shofar was blown to declare this truth. It is finished. Now, beloved, some of you are tracking with me and others of you are like, uh, I'm not quite sure what we're talking about here. Let me make it explicitly clear to you. For Jesus, his name in Hebrew, remember, is Joshua or Yeshua. It's just a different version of Joshua. He is the Messiah, the Christ, who is the Son of God, big S, the only begotten Son of God, who comes in the flesh to save his people. And how does he do it? Please don't miss this. During Passover, he is hung on a cross as the sacrifice of atonement, who breathes his last at what hour again? The ninth hour, when the shofar was blown, and all of Israel would have expected the Passover lamb to be slaughtered. What? What? Friends, this is the story of redemption that has been told from the beginning. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. Every story tells the story of Jesus and what he's doing that's bigger than what anyone could see. Even the Jews of his day were thinking Jesus was coming simply to drive out Rome and to give them freedom. And Jesus had nothing to do with Rome because he was there for a much bigger enemy that they could not see, but they saw the ramifications of Satan, sin, and death. And on the cross, Jesus defeated them all. Beloveds, this is why it matters that we see what's actually being declared in every one of these stories. And if you get this, the only right response is to shout. It's to shout for joy. To shout for joy because our Jesus has done it. This is our war cry. When we worship, I'm going to see a victory. I love what John did in worship today. Because he stopped us and said, don't you understand what we're saying? This isn't about what we come in here feeling. It isn't about you. It's for you. It's not about your feelings or how strong you think you are or how much you've messed up. Or how trapped you feel. It's for you when we declare victory. Because it's based on what Jesus has done and promised and given. It's not about how hard you can try or how much you understand or how ready you think you are. It's always been about Jesus. And because it's about Jesus, it can be for us. The only other option is you need to be your own Jesus. You need to save yourself. You need to work harder, be better, be good-er. I don't know about you, friends. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of that. Even as a follower of Jesus, there are so many areas of my life where I, 
I fall into the temptation of believing. I just need to be better. And every time, I end up hurting myself and hurting the people that I love. When the invitation today, friends, is to declare the victory and live into the victory and obey the lead, march in step with Jesus who's already won for us. Because friends, our hope is not just that he won, but that he's coming again. Jesus is coming again, friends. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Do you hear it? Shout with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet, the shofar of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Did you miss that passage last time you read it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Oh my goodness, what is Jesus saying? But that he's coming back, and you're going to hear his voice when he does. He's going to have the trumpets blowing the entire time. And when he comes back, who's doing the marching? The dead in Christ will rise first. He is going to show us the victory he's already had over the grave because those that we thought were dead and gone we will see with our own eyes and rejoice with, friends. Rejoice with. Jesus is coming again. Do you hear why it matters that we walk by faith, that we learn to fight differently in the already and the not yet? Jesus declares we are free in him. But do we live that way? He declares we are perfectly sanctified and glorified because of what he's done on the cross. But then he also says, put to death the old man or woman and put on the new. He also says, resist the devil because he's coming for you. He's prowling like a, a roaring lion. The already is what we have. It's our inheritance in Jesus. But we must learn to march differently as those who have guaranteed victory and are ready to hear the testimonies of those who've gone before us. That, friends, is what gives us motivation to admit everything about our walls, which is our second point. See, I told you we'd get to the second point eventually. <laughs> this one is significantly shorter. You're welcome. I don't want just us to miss this, friends, because I think the Lord has something for all of us in here today about what it feels like to be trapped. I want you to remember who Rahab is. Rahab is that one in our passage who's called a prostitute over and over again. But I want you to remember what in the ancient world that meant. It did not mean that she was simply a woman of the night who went out there and chose for herself a life of prostitution. No. What it meant is... She probably got married and her husband died. And she had no one. Either her father wouldn't take her back in, her brothers wouldn't take her, or she didn't have any. And in the ancient world, that meant you had nothing. As a woman, you had no rights. You had no ability to care for yourself. You were trapped. So you're in this place where you are forced into prostitution because it is the only way to live. So I want you to hear the pain of the walls 
self-protection in Rahab's life. Her culture, her family, the abuse she's undoubtedly experienced, the mistakes she's made, the fear she has, all of that are why she's living behind this wall. But don't forget what happened in our passage this morning. It's what was promised to Rahab and she had to live into. Do you remember? Joshua chapter two, when the spies go in and Rahab brings them in and God promises, even though all the other walls fall down, you put this scarlet cord out of your window and you and your whole household, all of your family, bring them into your house and I will save you. Can I tell you, I love it when science catches up with the Bible. I love it. Because the word of God is true, period. And science has forever, in, well, since basically the uh, Great Awakening, right? Science has, since the Great Awakening, tried to disprove the, re the, the reality and veracity of God. But science, keep, science keeps getting undone. Let me give you an example. In the, in the mid-1800s, there was an archaeological dig in Jericho. And they decided and concluded, because of their research, that there was no falling down of the walls. That this didn't actually happen. And so the story of Jericho and its conquest and everything, there's no historical evidence to support that. And basically, the Bible's a bunch of bunk. But in 1907... A bunch of Germans, I'm also German, so I take great pride in saying that. A bunch of Germans went in and did another archaeological dig. And do you know what they found? All the evidence we would ever need to know that exactly what the Bible describes is precisely what took place in the city of Jericho. The walls of Jericho. Jericho's on a hill. The walls are multiple. They're two. So when you think about Rahab living within the walls, that's what it means. They're like this. This is the inner wall. This is the outer wall. And then there was land in between, and they would have homes in that land. And some of those homes were literally built into the wall. Who do you think lived between the walls? The slums. The least of these. Those who, looked, who felt that they were overlooked. Those who walked around with shame and pain. They lived between the walls. Why? Because if the enemy attacked, who are the first people who are going to die? Those who lived in between the walls. All the elite, the upper class, they lived in the center of the city. He had two walls he had to get through, not just one. Rahab lived in the walls. And when this archaeological dig happened, you know what they found? Stones from the upper wall had rolled in to the lower wall. And there were feet and feet and feet of stones, some of which were burned. How do we know? Because it was harem warfare. Everything needed to get burned. It said it in our passage. I love it when science catches up to the truth of the Bible. Because our God says it, and it's true. And we can believe it, and we can live into it. But I want you to see, when he said, march around the city, and the walls are going to come tumbling down, what do you think Rahab was afraid of? If her house was literally built into the wall. That those stones, that wall, was going to fall on her. 
And a lot of us here today know exactly what that feels like. We're afraid to let the walls come down because we think they're going to crush us. We're going to be exposed. We're going to get hurt. We're going to be out of control. But I want you to see that the same God who saved Rahab is the same one who's coming after you. Because miraculously, again, science caught up with the Bible. You know what else they found in 1907? Portions of the wall didn't fall. You know what portion it was? The one that had the house built into it. Whose house was that? Rahab's. So God made all the other parts of the wall fall down. But the part that didn't fall was the one that he was coming to save. And he calls her Rahav, overcomer. Because of what he promised to her. Beloved, where are you stuck today? Where are you hiding behind walls of self-protection that you think you need to hide behind? Pain is a hidden prison with you guarding the door. Please remember that. Pain is a hidden prison with you guarding the door. Last weekend, we saw an incredibly courageous demonstration of healing. As our own George Schaff sat up here on stage and had our Ignite team lead him through healing prayer, where he shared some of his inner secrets and wounds and where we saw, and with permission, sharing, where we saw, because of the way the Lord spoke to our Ignite team, that George was carrying deep wounds because he was bullied as a kid, severely bullied. And the temptation was self-protection. Build these walls so that no one gets close enough to hurt you. But when you build walls so no one gets close enough to hurt you, you know what you also don't get? Love. You protect yourself from all emotion, not just the bad stuff. And as George himself will tell you, that was part of his story. But we got to see with our own eyes the way the Lord met George behind the walls. Because where George thought he was alone and trapped as a little boy, Jesus brought him right back to that memory and said, here I am. I've always been here. And I've always been at work for your good. You remember what he said to George? You're going to be okay. And you are, brother. And you are. Inner healing, friends, is all about Jesus getting behind the walls, meeting us there, and helping us to tear down the self-protection that is actually trapping us. Where is yours? If you want to know, look for the fruit of self-protection, fear, anger, numbness, hopelessness, pride, and there are others where we are hiding behind walls, 
the very places where this fruit shows up. And if you're not quite sure if that's true of you, if there's any place in you, can I ask you and encourage you to ask those who know and love you. Ask them. If you really want to know, if you really want to find healing in these places, it's a community project. But when we lean in, friends, it's also a community celebration. Because that's our last point, a better battle plan. In case you missed it, the story and the, the encouragement has been the same all along. Keep our eyes on Jesus. March after him and make the noise of warfare. What do I mean? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, thank you. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let me rephrase that. Let's demolish the strongholds, the walls that we ourselves have built in our lives. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus. Or another translation puts it, with our eyes fixed on Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? The marching orders have always been the same. Keep your eyes on the presence of the Lord who goes before you and march as he has directed you to march. And rejoice and celebrate and worship even before you experience the victory that is already yours. And he says, in Jesus, do exactly the same thing. March after the one in Jesus who's gone before you. And declare with your worship what is already true for you. And then watch as you begin to taste and see just how true it actually is. His better battle plan, friends, is a call to worship and adore. To worship and adore. To pick up the weapons of thanksgiving and praise. And to put down the wall-making tools. To put down the self-protection. To choose to obey even before we understand even before we feel like it, even before we want to, so that he can have his way with us. Worship until the walls come down. Hey, Winslow. We prayed for healing in this man, and he stands before you, healed. Thank you all for allowing me to be here with you. I am so grateful that I'm a member this organization. <laughs> I came in this morning and the greetings I received, I couldn't understand. Every thought, everybody thought I was this gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> I thank you so much for what you did for me. <clears throat> I'm Winslow. Last Saturday, I was here for service and passed out. Completely went out and fell down. 
and you helped me. You got me to the hospital and they treated me. And I'm back with you again today. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> I have to thank you so much for making me feel like somebody. My wife had numerous calls from you trying to find out how I'm doing. I, I'm so grateful that you thought so much about me. Mm. Thank you ever so much. Amen. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Thank, thank you, thank you ever so much. And I want you to know that all the prayers that you had for me, I got them. I'm, I'm blessed. Thank you all for what you did. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Winston. So wh why did I bring Winslow up? One, because he asked. <laughs> and you don't say no to Winslow. But, but secondly, and more importantly, because what we see in Winslow is exactly what we're talking about here, friends. We're in the hospital. He's not better yet. And he's thanking God for what God is doing in his life. And for the, the army of prayer warriors that he's raised up for him. And then praising God and saying these words, because Joan asked him, who, who loves you, Winslow? Jesus. And who do you love, Winslow? Jesus. And when he's for you, no one can be against you, friends. He's going to be with you no matter what. The way we fight our battles is through worship. Worship, worship. We're going to sing a song right now. And as we sing that song, here's my challenge to you. I want you to start thinking of the things that you have to be grateful for. The ways God has met you throughout your whole life or even right now in the season. Like we just celebrated Winslow. I heard from, a, from Dan Gavin who got prayer last weekend because he has had all sorts of, of physical pain and the Lord took it away took it away. And we praise God for that. We can praise God for physical healings, for emotional healings, for seeing us behind our wall and coming to meet us there. Even this morning, if the Lord has helped you see a place that you have a wall, can I encourage you that even that is a reason to rejoice because he wants to help you take it down, whatever that wall is. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to worship until the walls come down. Jesus, we love you, and we know that you love us. Jesus, we praise you for the goodness of who you are and what you've done. You are the one who's gone before us. You are our champion, our victor, and our example. You call us to march after you. And to trust that the same Holy Spirit that was at work in you is the same Holy Spirit at work in us. 
That we're, therefore, we do not need to doubt your promises. We need to walk in them. We do not need to understand and control and therefore protect ourselves from you. We get today to lay down our walls, to welcome you to come in and do what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, to demolish strongholds, those little fortresses that we build inside of ourselves thinking that somehow we're going to be more safe when all we're doing is actually protecting ourselves from you, the only one who can heal, the only one who truly knows, the only one who is love himself. And so Jesus, we ask for forgiveness in your name. Forgive us in Jesus' name. Thank you that your answer is always yes. We also ask that you'd show us, Lord, so give us wisdom and discernment in Jesus' name. That we'd see the places where we have walls that need to come down. And now, oh God, we pray that you would give us courage to sing what you say is already true of us, to pick up the battle cry and declare the truth of who you are and who we are to worship, Lord, until the walls come down. For the good work you've begun, you will complete. Thank you, Lord, that you're not asking us to be exposed by the lack of walls. You're inviting us into a truly safe place. You, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and will deliver them. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I lay down in front of the enemies to protect my sheep. Jesus, it's always been about you. As we fix our eyes on you now, Lord, we give you permission. Would you tear down our walls? Would you tear down our walls, Lord, as we worship you? In Jesus' name.